Hello, you are listening to Mind Body Grains Beauty Podcast, Clean Beauty School. I am your host and beauty director, Alexandra Engler. Here, we discuss all things beauty taken through the lens of well-being. Thanks for joining. Before we jump into the episode, I just want to share a new section we have on the podcast. We are introducing a brand new feature where you can submit all of your lingering beauty questions. Drop in a voicemail and I will answer it here on the podcast. Whether you have a follow-up question about a specific episode or are just curious about an ingredient, routine, or product, we want to hear from you. Head over to sayhi.chat slash cleanbeautyschool to submit your questions, and our team will select a few to answer during a special Q&A segment. That's sayhi.chat slash cleanbeautyschool, or you can click on the link in the show notes. Stay tuned for more updates. In today's episode, we have an inside look into the very special and sometimes secretive fragrance world. We talk about this later in the episode with my guest, but fragrance gets a bad reputation in the clean beauty space because of the simple fact that it does often lack transparency. So as a consumer, it's hard to know what is exactly in the bottle that you just applied or what fragrance means within the context of an ingredient list. So some of this does have to do with trademark issues, but some of the secrecy just has to do with how the fragrance industry has always been run. That's why clean beauty brands like Ellis Brooklyn feel so unique and exciting. They are open about what their fragrance standards are, what regulations they follow, including the EU, Canada, and others, and why they blend both natural and synthetic ingredients. So to learn more about the fragrance industry, ingredients, and what changes should be made, I had on the brand founder, B. Shapiro. B. is actually a reporter for the New York Times, as well as a brand founder, so believe me when I say she knows her stuff. And if you read any of her work, you know that to be the case. Without further ado, B., welcome. B., welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I'm so excited to have this conversation as somebody who is a longtime fan of yours and a longtime fan of your products as well. So I feel like I have so much to uh, to dive in with you. And in the interest of that, let's get to it. I always love to start by letting our listeners get to know the guests a little bit better. And, you know, I, I want to hear your story straight from you. What was your journey into journalism like? Why, why were you drawn to this field? Oh, gosh, you know, journeys are a funny thing, because I think sometimes, especially on social media, people assume like it's the truth. And like, that's the way it was. And it was like a beeline, literally to like A to Z. And for me, that literally was not the case. So for me, I actually started out as a hedge fund attorney, which is so out of left field. And when I look back, it it really had no like relevance to anything I was studying or anything I was interested in, except for I knew that I had never had an internship. I always worked these like paying summer jobs. I did not know what I wanted to do. And then all of my friends had jobs lined up and then I didn't. So I panicked and I was like, oh my God, I have nothing. What am I going to do? You know, I'm coming out of school, about to graduate college soon. And so I took the LSAT. I did some studying on my own and, and I went to law school. So I kind of let life carry me along for a while. And so when it was really in that first year working as a lawyer that I was like, this can't be life. 
Um, this can't be the rest of my life every day working in something that I, that I don't care for. And I think that especially for me, I saw working in law, I think there's a total misconception of work and life. I think that when you are really into your career or really into whatever you're doing, they're always going to be integrated. So I was like, this can't be it. You know, we're, I'm 20, I think I was 24, 25. And, and I was like, this is just like constant work and something I wasn't passionate about. And so I quit and I did some soul searching. I tried all these different odd jobs. I started writing for blogs. Blogs were new at the time, which is so crazy. Instagram didn't even exist. And, and I started doing some blogging. I had a blog and I, I wrote for other blogs and, and I started rolling that snowball. And then I went to the New York times. So yeah, <laughs> it's, it, it, it's, I don't recommend anyone necessarily following path, that path, but I always <laughs> like to tell like young people, don't be anxious about the journey, you know? Sure. Yeah. I, I, as somebody who is often trying to look ahead and be like, okay, you know, what, what does the next five years look like? What does the next 10 years look like? I always try to remind myself of what I thought five years looked like when I was 20 versus 25. And it's often it's an ever-evolving industry and you know it's it's so hard to pinpoint about what the industry is going to look like and so how are you supposed to even fit into that in a certain way so hearing your journey of you know stories like that i i always get so inspired because there's there's a certain amount of bravery that comes with it i think Oh, for sure. I, I definitely think there's risk taking. It's so funny because I started working with a life coach, I think almost three years ago. I was one of those people that always shoved their feelings down. And so I, I made these big leaps thinking that, oh my gosh, I have to do it. I need to do this for myself. But I never sat down and like really thought why. I just felt like I can't do this anymore. And so that's why I quit law. I went to journalism. And that's why I also started Ellis Brooklyn. It was just like compulsion, like I have to do this. But, you know, looking back, I've always taken a lot of risks in my career. And so I think if you start to take a look at like, what is your risk tolerance? And like, do you want to take the risk and look at it a little bit more methodically? I actually think it'll help if you are looking to make a change or a pivot or something like that. Because my pivots, even though it all ended up well, actually was really, really tough because I didn't have that mental capacity at the time to be like, okay, let's step back and what is this going to require? I was very instinctive. I don't regret it, but you know, I just, I feel like I have more emotional knowledge or just like intelligence now. So I think it would have been so helpful if I knew all this before. <laughs> I'm also curious, why specifically beauty? You know, what, what was it about beauty that drew you to this beat that you have? That's a good question because I actually didn't choose beauty. I always say beauty chose me. I say that because I actually wanted to cover fashion and I wanted mm. to cover pop culture. So like the integration of art and fashion and like that kind of thing. I was not covering beauty. And so I started at the New York Times doing that kind of beat and doing some events as well because that folded into pop culture. And it was really from there that I was like, okay, I'm sitting here, I'm like the youngest in the section of the New York Times. There's five other reporters ahead of me. And at this point I was like, what should I do? And then it kind of fell on my lap. So the beauty columnist at the time got her dream job in travel and she left and the editor in chief was like, do you want this? And I was like, 
Well, yes, I do. Not because <laughs> I knew that much about beauty. I always use beauty products, but I wasn't like a big beauty junkie or anything. Uh, but because of all those different other circumstances, and I think also just to keep your mind open, like, okay, I could take this and like run with it, you know? I mean, you know, you say that you weren't necessarily beauty junkie, but you definitely involved beauty products in your life as, you know, most people do. But, you know, I, I am curious, though, looking back, because I do think that this is more common than not, people do have kind of these formative memories with beauty. And those memories definitely influence how people think about beauty as they get older, right? And when you look back, are there any moments that you can kind of pinpoint to that that did have those formative aspects to how how you interact with beauty now and how they shaped your relationship? Like, People tend to have them about like growing up with, you know, either a maternal figure or their friends or things like that. Is there anything you can pinpoint to? Oh, yeah. So I would say there's two major things that influence yeah. me in beauty. And I think to this day, I think I'm still influenced by these two <laughs> things. So uh, one is that, yes, I was influenced by my mom. My mom is obsessed with skincare. It was very much part of East Asian immigrant culture. And we didn't have a lot of means. We didn't have a lot of stuff. And so she was basically very DIY. So she taught me how to do an egg white mask. She used to keep berries in the freezer and she would do like a quick vitamin C mask from like fresh mashed up berries. We did like an oatmeal and like honey scrub, I think when I was like in second grade or something. I mean, I didn't need it. You but were like, really ahead of just... your time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there wasn't like, you know, Instagram kids or TikTok kids teaching you how to do all this stuff. <laughs> it's true. It's true. So so it was very DIY and it was very much like, okay, what does my skin need today? Like if my skin is kind of dull, maybe I should do an egg white mask, you know, that kind of thing. And so I would say that part I still have today because I like to like try a ton of things that I like to tinker. I like to be like, what does my skin need today? Like that kind of thing is still very much like a cook in the kitchen sort of feel. And then the second part was I grew up in Seattle and the 90s, I was in junior high, and that was my first like experience really with makeup. Yeah, yeah. you're in the epicenter day, of it all. <laughs> <laughs> to this day, I still love like a smoky smudge eyeliner situation, like a nude lip, like a glossy nude lip, lip gloss, you know, like I'm still that girl. Like I don't know if I'll yeah. ever... I hope it never gets dated because I'm still, you know, decades later, I'm happy 90s is still around because I'm still doing totally. that same look. Well, it's definitely having a moment as much as I hate to be like, blah, blah, blah is having a moment. It certainly is. And, you know, there is there is truly something timeless about kind of like a smudged eyeliner look. I mean, I can't imagine that's ever going out of style. That's, that's I mean, right. it's just it's so, so Kate Moss. It's so came off. It's so sexy, but in like an unassuming way. I'm I'm right there with you. <laughs> okay, so what is your beauty philosophy now? Oh, my beauty philosophy now is just listen to yourself. I think oh. that what happened during the pandemic is actually a lot of people started listening to themselves because we had to, right? Like, oh my gosh, think of all of our like external coping mechanisms that we yeah. used. I mean, I certainly did. You know, I travel for work sometimes and pre-pandemic, I was traveling at least a week a month, like internationally often. 
And so that for me was like my escape, but I didn't realize it was also in some way like a coping mechanism for me. And so when you're really forced to sit with yourself and be like, wow, what do I need today? And I think a lot of times people needed baths, you know, people needed a face massage roller thing or that kind of thing. And so I actually think beauty during the pandemic was in some ways to me more exciting because I was like, wow, people are actually like thinking like, what does my body need or what does my skin need or what do I just need out of this beauty experience and so so that's like my been my mantra for like the last three years at least yeah you know I love getting in touch with your bodies and skin's need as like a beauty philosophy because I do think it is something that does feel very it feels very modern but it's also something that is just so instinctive and like we're almost raised on this idea that we needed to have a very like rigid routine you know, that is kind of like counterproductive to how beauty should feel instinctively. Like beauty should be something that like it gives to you and it's a ritual that you like look forward to. And so, you know, I I really love this shift into something that beauty is like instinctive and it's like it's natural and it's, you know, it comes from within in this like very like organic way. Are you seeing it with people that you talk to? Because, you know, you talk to people about beauty all the time. I am seeing it. So, you know, I just recently interviewed Anya Taylor-Joy of Queen's Gambit, and I love her. I think she's so interesting. But sometimes, you know, when you interview an actress and you you really admire her work later, when you talk to them, you're like, wow, there's not much up there. (laughs) And she she definitely was not that, you know? That's Um, good to hear. I know. It's it's nice to hear, right? It is, yeah. (laughs) But what the part I really liked is she's significantly younger than me, you know, at least I think I think almost like 15 years younger than me, but listening to her talk like about what she was into as far as beauty, I really liked it because it was, it was really just committing to yourself. And I think Mm. pre pandemic, if you remember the wellness industry started to get super fancy. So it started to be like, Oh, you can self care only if you go book this massage for yourself or only if you go see this amazing for four hands facial lifting thing. I don't know. You know, it started to get yeah. really, really expensive. Totally. And then, you know, what she was telling me about is that she travels so much that the way she creates her like home or her inner peace sort of thing is she takes lots of baths. And the bath can be fancy, the bath, the bath cannot be fancy, but she takes this bath all the time. And it's, she said it's almost like she's spoiling, it's her Valentine's Day for herself, she was saying, like every night, you know? And listening to her, I was like, yes, that's what it's about. Of course you wanna look pretty, of course you wanna play with the color, and of course you want to have like sometimes a trendy thing, sure. But at the, at the end of the day, what we spend our time on and what we spend our money on. And the reason why I think beauty is so compelling as opposed to fashion, which is great, is but it's just not as like integrated with wellness is the fact that beauty is a pleasure and beauty Mm. also does make us feel good. Mm. Beauty is a pleasure. Oh, that's a good line. I love that. So there is a perfumer I work with called Frank Volkel, and he's Mm. a legendary master perfumer. He's made so many amazing scents. And we were talking about this because, you know, I was trying to pinpoint it because I don't know a single master perfumer that doesn't eat really well, that doesn't love fine wine, that doesn't, you know, enjoy these little things in life. And I, and I was like, Frank, why do you think that is? Because I'm the same way, actually. I'd rather pay for a meal than like a really nice dress, for example. So 
totally or travel or something like that and and he said he goes well it's obvious and I was like what do you mean he goes because he said scent perfume is not a necessity it's a pleasure I I love love that outlook and I also just like uh, we're just going to jump right into the fragrance conversation of it all because that was a beautiful transition. But, you know, I also just like love perfumers and the way that they look onto the world and, uh, you know, how how they interact with the world. It's like they're some of my favorite people in beauty. Like they really, really are people who have an appreciation for fragrance. I think they bring such a an incredible viewpoint into the space because they just look at the world almost through like rose colored glasses. Like everything is magical in a sense. And you are somebody who obviously loves fragrance. And I, I want to know where did that come from? And, you know, you, you obviously made this like gorgeous brand for yourself, but that appreciation for fragrance had to start somewhere. And, you know, where, where did that come from? Yeah. So, you know, the thing is we all have our, if you think about our five senses, we all have certain senses that are stronger for us than others, right? Some people I know can listen to a song and know the next, you know, words like in like two seconds. Some people I know who are, you know, photographers, they can photo edit or identify a specific color, you know, within certain like Pantones, like they're just so accurate. So for me, I've always had a very keen sense of smell. I just have it actually funnily enough when I was younger I thought of it as a blessing and a curse because sometimes mm. like let's say you get into a crowded L train subway like you're like ah you know that's um, when it's a that's, curse <laughs> it's when it's a curse you know especially in a hot humid day huh? so I always had a very keen sense of smell but it wasn't trained so it was really just like I smelled things I reacted to them and like that was it I didn't really process it particularly and so having that when I started re- reviewing products for the New York Times, I realized, okay, I can really, really smell out certain certain things when I started to study it or when I started to put my focus onto it. And then, like you said, and what some people may not know is that the perfume world is this beautiful world. And I love the master perfumers that I met. I I think the scent world, it's like, it's a world onto its own within beauty. It doesn't overlap that much with the other in the sectors. I don't know why. And so the master perfumers were so interesting to me because you're right. I think they have access to this other sense that for most of us is not trained. And Mm. I think that opens your world actually. Because now I have some more training. I've actually tried to get training done specifically on top of working with the perfumers all the time. So I can speak to individual scents more clearly. But so so it's the combination of working with these amazing perfumers, but also actually doing the training that I do think opens up a whole different world. It's an invisible world, but it's yeah. there. And it's, I mean... It's such a magical world, too, because you start interacting with things around you on this like very like almost like primitive, like humanistic way where it's our first sense. And it's like, you know, it's like this sense that that every other animal like uses in like this like very like real survival mechanistic sort of way. And so like, I don't know, there's something so like primitive, but primitive in like a, a, a good way, you know, where it's like, it's just like Absolutely. you almost get to the core of it, what it means to like be an animal and be alive and be a human <laughs> when you talk about scent. I, that's a very like, I don't know, a uh, weird way to put it, but I think there is something to that. You probably experience that quite a bit, you know, where it's like, yes, yeah. 
tell me about so that. I mean, sure, sure. So you know what you? I know it's hard to describe, but it actually yeah. is primitive. So you totally hit the nail on the head. <laughs> you know, there's something raw about scent, isn't there? And I think it's because if you think about, you can actually put it into more scientific terms in the sense that when you breathe in a scent. It actually hits your frontal cortex, which is in some ways like your quote unquote primitive brain, right? It's your brain that reacts to things, your brain that will save core memories, your brain that will be like fight or flight. So it goes straight to that. See something, it actually gets processed by your hypothalamus and then it gets shot back to you like this is what I saw. So when you breathe something in, it doesn't have that second filter. So it's it's instantaneous reaction. I love it. I hate it. You know, that's why when you smell Mm. something, it's very hard to not be like, let's say you hate it. It's very hard not to jump back. When you see something and you really dislike it, you might grimace, but if let's say you're an adult and you're like, okay, I'm saying that it's, it's, it's kind of gross, but I know I need to keep my face straight. You have Mm. an easier chance of doing that than, than if you were breathing something in that was absolutely foul. So, so it is very primitive because on the flip side is if you smell something amazing, it's actually would be very difficult for you to be to try to turn off your emotions of smelling something very pleasing. You might your mouth might water, you might you might just be in a better mood. Like there's all these crazy studies actually that confirm that. So it's not this imaginary thing like, oh, I just want to smell good. Scent is actually super primitive and super instinctual and it hits us at the core of something actually in many ways more powerful than our sense of sight or our sense of hearing or something like that. Yeah. So so I, I find it interesting that if you go to certain cultures like Europe or Middle East, the average person actually is very attuned to scent. And the average person is more quote unquote trained in scent than like somebody in the US. So for me, growing up in the US, I really had to learn some things that but I'm also coming at it from a different place. So it could be your advantage or disadvantage to not have this background. But I do have that keen sense of smell. So it helps. But but yes, it's it's all those things. And it's fascinating. So when you say that other cultures have a more educated approach to scent, does that mean that it's just more a part of the culture than it is in the U.S.? Because you're you're absolutely correct on the fact that like in the U.S. we tend to it, our our approach to scent is very like clean and very like we almost like don't want a lot of like perfumery in our lives or our homes and. If you're not exposed to a lot of scents, then obviously you're not going to have that like sharper sense of it, or you're not going to be as educated on it versus other cultures. Is that like, is that the difference between that? So I think that if you look at the U.S., I actually think the history of scent here has been really interesting, and that's why we are where we are today. So right now, if you look at the consumption of scent for Gen Z and millennials, it is way higher, way higher Mm. as a percentage. I think MPD said something like 80%. Then, yes, (laughs) then ages that are a little bit older, let's say 40 and above. I'm 41, so I fall into that category. And I remember there was a period of time when I started going to work, like into the law firm or going to wherever, where scent was almost scent in the sense of a complex perfume 
was considered almost anti-intellectual, right? Like, can you mm. imagine if you walked into an elevator, um, you're really trying to climb the corporate ladder, and then you fill the whole entire elevator with your perfume? Like, it was almost looked down yeah. on. It was very... Yeah. Um, no, I think you're right. It was almost like, yeah, it was strange how much we axed away scent in our daily lives. But I think the problem with that is that we didn't really ax away scent. I think the funny part about all this is that people say they like like unscented things. Very few things in life are actually unscented. If anybody mm. has ever used a product line, Biologique Recherche, that's actually not scented. Unscented sometimes means that there is no perfume, quote unquote, perfume added, but there are other masking agents in there to make the scent go away. Yeah. (laughs) It's a strange thing that we've done to ourselves, you you know, with the unscented situation. And so it's almost like you, you cut away one of your senses. And if you think about that, something's missing. And that something is missing is a part of your brain that is not developed. And that's why I think sometimes where if you imagine cultures like European cultures, there's something more sensual about it, isn't there? Mm, Just imagine France or Italy or, you know, any of those regions. And and it's because they, they didn't cut away that part of their brain in their like growing up phase. And so it's interesting because we have some really great millennials and Gen Z customers from for Ellis Brooklyn. And I think that that generation is what these two generations are way more in touch with their sense of smell. So and they love it. They they relish yeah. it. They want to be unique. They want to try different things. And, and, and I think it's a wonderful thing. So I think I think in the U.S. we have this like interesting timeline of what has happened. And and I think right now the scent world in the U.S. is really exciting. Now in sure. Europe and Middle East particularly, this is something that's embedded in their culture. So when mm. you think about categories and how they perform, the U.S. makeup is usually the top category for beauty, maybe skincare as well these days. In Europe, the top category is Europe is fragrance. So wow, yeah, it came, it's bizarre, right? Like yeah, I mean, no, I'm just that. trying to imagine that that be the case in in the states, and it's like I can't even fathom that. <laughs> yes, it's hard to imagine, isn't it? Like that's yeah. the top category. And so it's a completely different way of prioritizing your senses, right? In the U.S., we are by far still visual people. Like still, if you think mm-hmm. about it, the makeup applications, right? Before and afters of skincare testing. We are very driven by the visual and less driven by the experience until more mm-hmm. recently. So now I think you start to hear about like when you put on skincare, it feels so good. Or when you breathe something like a nice candle at home, it like changes your mood. We're just getting to that. And it might be because we're a less, our US culture is still relatively new, isn't it? So it might just yep. be like an evolution, but in, but in Europe or Middle East, fragrance is like a priority. So it's just a totally different way to look at it. Yeah. Uh, So we've laid incredible groundwork for a fragrance conversation. And now I have to dive in to Alice Brooklyn a little bit more and the story behind it. And, uh, you know, it's it's origin story. Why did you decide to start a fragrance brand? I think starting anything is nuts. (laughs) I mean, I just I think I said bravery earlier and I still like mean that I think when anybody starts anything, I think it's so just like brave to put yourself out there. It is true. I mean, when I look back on it, because I didn't take any investment either. I I used my own savings. I was like, wow, 
what did I, how did I get myself over the ledge on that one? But so I started the line for a couple of reasons. I talked earlier about that compulsion, right? That compulsion Mm -hmm. that I felt like I had to do something. And that compulsion for me with Ellis Brooklyn was really two things going on. So I was pregnant with my daughter, Ellis, living in Brooklyn. I was trying all these things for the New York Times. And I just saw this really cool indie clean beauty movement. If you're going to remember, clean beauty started really as these female founders that were advocating for their clients as opposed to the old school way of, okay, I'm a luxury skincare brand and I talk down to my clients. Mm, and so sure. it yeah. was a it was a really fascinating moment if you thought about it that way, as opposed to just the no-no list and just the policing of bad ingredients. Like when I look back on that era, I think I, I was just so excited by the fact that the dialogue turning the, towards the customer was just completely different, you know, and that we're sort of in this together and we're trying to make sense that are stunning, but also, you know, have ingredients that are responsible and safe and all that stuff. So that was one aspect for sure. And then the other aspect was, I felt like I had something to say in this space. And I say that because as much as I love the scent world, the one thing that just blew my mind is that overwhelmingly for the last few decades, at least, the scent world has been dominated by French Caucasian men. That is so specific. Yes. Okay. Yes. Very, very specific. <laughs> That's very niche. And <laughs> and that group of guys are very talented, very trained, you know, wonderful for the most part. It's only one viewpoint, isn't it? And I just felt like there could be and should have other voices in there, in that space, because actually the what we think of as quote unquote clean or what we think of that smells like a baby or what we think of it smells dirty even actually is oftentimes socially informed or constructed. So for example, a lot of times in the sure. US we say, oh, that smells like a baby. And it's like a bait, it's actually that baby powder smell. It's actually a powdery smell, mm. right? That we think, yeah. oh, it smells like a baby. In France, when they smell orange blossom, they think it smells like a baby because a lot of the baby products in France smell like orange blossom. Isn't that weird? Whereas here yeah. in the US, orange blossom is a fragrance for teenagers or adults. Totally. I, yeah. Another way that I've noticed that this comes up is when I talk to people is about cleaning products. Because, you know, <laughs> I feel like in the U.S., like so many cleaning products are citrus set, right? Yes. Or they may have like some sort of fruit citrus situation. And so like we automatically equate that with cleaning products, whereas I know that that's not the case elsewhere. Like citrus is huge around the Mediterranean, but like we tend to associate it just specifically with cleaning products, right? It's so true. It was so funny because years ago we were looking for, we were looking to do like a citrus scent and my perfume was like, let's do a lemon scent. I love the smell lemon. He's French. And, and I was like, well, the issue is that if we release it, he made the citrus scent for me to try, but the issue is if we release it, people are going to be like, that smells like dishwashing detergent. You know, (laughs) it's just so funny how literally that's like the first thing will come to people's minds. And it's just not the case that it's the same thing for another country. And it is true. Cleaning products in other parts of the world don't necessarily smell like lemon. They could smell. I've even smelled cleaning products that smell like 
little bit complex, like even like a little bit yeah. like Musk thrown in there. I thought it was Ooh. really interesting. It's just, it's just totally different. So, and, and cultural too. I mean, if you've traveled enough, I, there was like a detergent smell in South America. I lived in Brazil for like four months at one point, and there was a detergent smell that's so distinctive just to that region. And I'm just yeah. like, every time I smell that, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's, you know, detergent. <laughs> but that, but that scent doesn't exist in the U.S. I want to know where do you find your inspiration? Because, you know, you you just mentioned you were talking with your perfumer and, you know, he had thrown out this idea of doing a lemon scent. And that just, I mean, that makes me want to know, like, what is that development process like? And where do you look for inspiration? Yeah. So the beginning of Ellis Brooklyn, I was making sense for myself. So uh, <laughs> myth, which is like a white musk. It's like the scent of my mm-hmm. dreams. It's a scent I always wanted. So, and then rose was the rose scent I could never find. And fable was the orange blossom scent. That was some, was a tiny bit masculine. And that was also what I was looking for. And obviously you can't keep doing that. So <laughs> that, that was like just the very, very first <laughs> group. But actually the interesting part is that the more I got away from just like, okay, let me make this very narrow vision of what I specifically want. I actually think our scents have gotten better and better. And the reason why is I've sort of removed myself, not from the conversation in the sense that I still will not put out a scent that I won't wear. That's just like a, like a rule of mine. But I think about it more like how does scent play a role for us? Why would we wear scent? And what can it bring you? And so I always go back to that same idea we talked about earlier about how scent should be a pleasure and, and scent should bring you joy and should bring you escape or should bring you, you know, those little moments of levity because it's not a necessity, right? So, so I started to think about that more and more and explorations of like what we actually think scent serves as a purpose for us for a category. So our recent scent, Sunfruit, is a fruity floral. We've no, I've never released a fruity floral. I'm technically quote unquote not even a fruity floral kind of girl. Like I just never yeah. really wore those kind of scents. But I was like, what can we do this fruity floral that is joyful and and can bring you to a place? So for us, that was the Malfi Coast, but also Ooh. have this richness to it. And so there's this really great Emily Dickinson poem about forbidden fruit. And it talks about fruit in a way that is very illicit sounding, even though it's just, you know, a few lines of poetry. And so it was those two combinations of things. And Sunfruit is joyful. It does remind you of the Malfi Coast, but it's sort of this like really creamy, rich fig. And, you know, there's like a juicy pear up top, but then it sort of goes into mm. this white floral thing. It's actually quite a rich, fruity floral. And so, so it's sort of taking those categories that we're so familiar with. And instead of just doing the same old, same old, I'm like, well, let's try something different. Let's approach it from a different way. So, and and all the while thinking about like, it has to be pleasurable. (laughs) I'm not making these strange esoteric sense. I want to make sense that people like see in the morning be like, I want to put that on. Yeah. I, I feel like I grew up as somebody who definitely loved like a fruity, scent you know I'm imagining like the DKNY apple or you know even like I feel like Britney Spears scent which I wore growing up has like tons of pear it's in really it. good and yeah it's really yeah good and like scent. I you know I look back about those fragrances and how much joy they brought me when I was that age and it's funny you bring this up because 
as I've gotten older, I, you know, I, I wanted to be more serious with my scent. And so, you know, I switched over to more musky stuff and sure. et cetera, et cetera. But there is like, I don't know, there is something so joyful and youthful about this idea of playing around with, you know, a juicy, fruity floral that just like, to me, because I associate it with my youth, that feels just so fun. And it, it feels like a more like innocent version of myself. And, you know, I, I, so anyway, that's all to say that I think like a sophisticated fruity floral, I think there is absolutely a place in the market for something like that, because it just like, I don't know, it speaks to like this area of fragrance that we don't necessarily have that sophisticated version of that. So it sounds gorgeous. Yes. Well, thank you. Thank you. I'm going to send yeah. you some for sure. Yes, but, please, um, please. I'm dying to try now. <laughs> yeah. And also it's taking these categories that, you know, we've been told, uh, primarily yeah. women, right? Most most perfume marketing is still targeted towards women. We've been told to to buy, to consume. Like we yeah. should, uh, fruity florals should be like this. And all those scents that you mentioned, actually a great legendary scents, but yeah. I don't know if we have to smell like that, right? Like 10 years down the road. I think we can no. make a choice for ourselves if we want to smell that kind of fruity floral or a more sophisticated version. And, and so that one, Sunfruit, was made with Frank Vogel, and he is a German working in mm. fragrance, and that's very unusual. And I love working with some of these outsider perfumers, I like to call them, because we're, we're coming from a different place. And so because of that, you can free up the rules a little bit, right? Like what yeah. was supposed to be a fruity floral can be a little richer, can be a little bit more grown up. It can be a little bit sexier in your face, that kind of thing. So, um, so yeah, I love doing that to categories. So when I think about, okay, let's offer something in this category, what can we do to make it meaningful? And what can we do to make mm -hmm. it joyful? It doesn't have to be a fruity floral. Like we just, we have, I made another scent with Frank called Apres and it's about oh. the joy of Apres ski. So it's woodsy, oh God, it's heaven. boozy, you know, uh -huh. it has like a, like a wet frozen snow smell up top. So, but, but for me that, that brought me a lot of joy in the pandemic was going out and skiing and snowboard. I'm a snowboarder actually. And, and that was my escape and the apres scene was missing. And that was what brought me joy was like being able to smell this and being like brought right back to it. I want to ask, what do you think the fragrance? the fragrance industry is getting wrong right now. Are there any, you know, things that you would like to see updated? Yes. Yeah, so we, I think we are one of the few fragrance brands that uses diverse casting of models. Mm. Most of the niche brands don't use any models at all, which I understand because it's expensive, but we're talking about like at the higher level, I wish some of the imagery was a little bit more diverse and allowed a little bit more personality. So if it want to blow minds, Zoe Kravitz for YSL for Saint Laurent Beauty, I think she was the first person of color to be on a major campaign or something nuts like that. I, I just think that in general, I don't see why luxury has to be confined to this very, very limited aesthetic when obviously the world is changing and there's so many different visions of wealth.
now. So, so I, I, that's the part that I would love for fragrance to change because we have definitely been the slowest on that. I'm happy to yeah. say that for the most part, we have really, really tried to make an effort, not just casting different races and skin shades, but also casting different size. I think, you know, you just never see a woman of a different size, you know, going out there and selling a fragrance, right? For another luxury no. brand. So, so that that's just something that I personally wish I, we could see more, but we'll see, you know, that it's tougher with fragrance because it's not like makeup where you're using so many models. You're really just picking one for a really long time. So, so we'll see what happens with that. But that's something that I know at Ellis Brooklyn, we really, really, really try to make sure we do. Yeah. That's one of those things that I don't necessarily think I, uh, it's obviously such a big part of the conversation in beauty elsewhere, but I don't think I even noticed that the, the fragrance slice of it hadn't necessarily evolved in their campaigns, but you're 1000% right. Talked a little bit about trends and what you're seeing, especially in regards to Gen Z, but I want to know what other trends are seeing right now? Is there anything that's happening in the market that you can pinpoint to as, you know, a, a, a new area that excites you, a, a new trend that uh, piques your interest? Well, I think people are wearing fragrances in all different formats and sizes now. Mm. I think long time ago, we would buy like, we would find one fragrance, you know, whether it's Britney Spears or App or <laughs> DKNY Apple or whatever it was. I wore yeah. Jean-Paul Gaultier, that like bottle, that body shape bottle. Yeah, for, yeah, for years. <laughs> totally, totally. So I think before we would find our signature fragrance, we would buy the small size, try it out, really like it, buy the 50 ml and then buy invest in the 100 ml when you're like going through duty free or your dad gifted you it or whatever it was right that was sort of the trajectory and then you would wear your scent for years until you probably couldn't smell it on yourself anymore and and then you make might change that's totally changed so now you know when we see like people buying our different sizes sure you still wanted sometimes to do that if you find a scent you really like but we also see people just buying travel sprays only and they're just mm. mixing every day. And this is their own unique brew of whatever scent they want to smell that day. So, and they might use a body oil that's scented first. They might use, like I even read in the comments, like some people were using coconut oil as their body lotion and spraying sun fruit on top because they wanted more of a coconut mm. smell. So I, I think that part is super cool because that means you can use scent in all different formats. And, and just having awareness, like, yeah, your body lotion also has scent too. And that plays into everything yeah. else plays into how you're actually going to smell like. So that to me is fun because you can be really, really playful. You know, you can make a deodorant, you can make a hair mist, you can make, you know, all these different things. So I definitely see the industry going that way too. I have to ask you this because you are somebody who is an authority on the clean fragrance space. Okay. And, you know, one thing that I feel like I run into a lot, especially with the readership, is the word fragrance has been so stigmatized in in the clean and natural space. And it comes from this idea that if you see fragrance on an inky list, then, you know, you don't know what's behind the curtain. As somebody who loves fragrance personally, it bums me out because I do think that there are a lot of people in the space who do make you know, that make fragrances that, you know, use really good ingredients and responsible synthetics and, you know, come from the place of integrity. And so to have just the word fragrance be so vilified, 
I, I hate to see it because I think that there's a there's a way to uh, incorporate beautiful, well-made fragrances in 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 all of our lives. So I'm curious, how do you talk to people or, you know, what do you say to people who come from this space of being afraid of seeing fragrance on an inky list? Yes, uh, I totally know what you mean. So the fra- the word fragrance, I think, unfortunately, historically, was sort of, quote unquote, abused, you know, like if you think about it, when I started Ellis Brooklyn, you couldn't really trust what was in that word fragrance, right? So as I got more into starting the company, I realized, okay, the reason why you can't disclose or you can disclose, but even the people, the the companies I know that disclose today, sometimes they don't disclose all of it is that the fragrances are not trademarked. And because they're not trademarked, the fragrance house itself, who's producing it for you has disincentive to give you the full ingredient listing. So that was one issue. But the second issue is that when, let's say we did put out all the ingredients for a certain sense, it can be very confusing to the average consumer because some of these things don't, you can't even Google it. And unfortunately, as much as I love certain sites like EWG, they're not that accurate actually, because they're taking secondhand information So they're getting information from whatever sources that they can get. Oftentimes they're right, but sometimes they're not. And so there's no one fact checking them. And so it can lead to a lot of confusion in the space. Sometimes people don't realize that fragrance world in many ways is the most high tech of all the beauty categories. And yeah. so I remember when I first, I know a lot about ingredients and the, one of the times that I got, I started asking for transparent ILs or ingredient listings a long time ago from our perfume houses, but I was told no, because of this trademark issue, I kept asking, kept asking. It actually only changed when giant companies like Unilever, et cetera, started asking for them. They wouldn't really listen Mm. to like a small brand. And now we start to have our, we do have our ILs and now we can answer people's questions, but we still choose not to put it all out there because it's actually very confusing. So there's like an ingredient on our no-no list. It's a certain acrylate. And I remember I got my transparent IL for B Eau de Parfum and I got it. I read through it. And, you know, checking our no-no list, et cetera. And I saw at the very end, there was something acrylate. It was like the, 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 the acrylate at the end. And I was like, yeah. oh, I, I flipped out. I was like, oh my gosh, yeah. we're about to launch. There's a thing on my no-no list. I can't launch like this. You know, I started to panic. And then so I sent a note to the perfumer, this amazing perfumer, Lockdong. I worked with the regulatory team. Long story short, it would, the name was Acrylate, but the cast number actually was technically, cast is actually a chemical assigned number. The cast number actually, if you looked at it, but technically was not one of those Acrylates that was, wasn't an Acrylate. It wasn't, it was uh-huh. not banned. And so think how confusing that is. Yeah. No, it's deeply confusing. And Especially because, you know, another phrase that I hear so often in this space, which also can sometimes get under my skin, is when people say, you know, I don't use anything that I can't pronounce. And it's like, well, it's not really how chemistry works, you know? So, yeah. And to people like that a lot who, and you see these fragrance names and they are, they can sound very confusing, but that's how chemistry works. I don't know. Some of these names are long. There's no way to get around that. 
It is true. And the other thing that I want to sort, you know, I definitely want to get through to the quote unquote clean community, because I even think the word clean is going to be tricky, right? Totally. Is yeah. That, as somebody uh, who uses it a lot, I agree. <laughs> right? You know, yeah. I've tested so many clean products. I tell you, I've broken out in rashes from clean products. You know, it's not definitely not perfect. And so if we think about ingredients. I would just love for everyone just to take a step back and be like, okay, invest in brands and use brands that your skin feels good in and that you start to trust the dynamic of this brand. Because I actually think that is easier than sitting there and looking at each single ingredient. Um, Of course, there's the big no-no's, right? Like the big ones. I always say, if you're really concerned, you should ask the brand, where are they compliant? So we are actually globally compliant. That's, that was one of my rules when we started, because I wanted to be compliant, not just in the EU, which is a really good marker, but we're also compliant in Japan and Korea in, in sure. Australia, which is very stringent and Health Canada as well. So I love this tip because it really does save you from having to come through every single ingredient on a label. So along with looking at international standards, in the fragrance world, you can also trust the regulatory board, IFRA, or the International Fragrance Regulatory Association. So this is a voluntary regulatory board that sets out guidelines for the beauty industry on what's acceptable for fragrance safety based on current research available. Even organizations like the EWG follow their lead for fragrance ingredients regulations. If a brand says their fragrance is EFRA compliant, you can feel more comfortable with using it. It's just something else to look out for along with global compliance or compliance with various clean standards that you trust, like Credo, Sephora, or Whole Foods. So I think that is a very good place to start if you're just a new consumer to the space or a consumer who is confused. Because if you just ask a brand, where are your products compliant, you'll you'll start to understand that brand. Again, I think EU is a really good starting point, but it's not the end of the rope, actually. A lot of these other countries are even stricter. So, so, so that, I think, is just you start to believe and trust in this brand and you kind of go from there. Otherwise, there's an endless list of no-nos. <laughs> that brands are constantly (laughs) updating. (laughs) Totally. I I think that's a really good tip. Just, you know, build a relationship with a brand and, you know, look into compliance. I think that's, um, I haven't seen any, or I, I haven't talked to anybody who's worded it quite like that, but I really like that advice. So the last thing I want to get into is how you take care of yourself and, you know, what you use for yourself. I think I have to start with fragrance because of, you know, the nature of who I'm talking to. So, you know, what are some of your favorite fragrances? Okay, so Myth is my favorite. I use it the most. Yeah. Lately, I've been using salt body oil, which is mm. salt is not salt is not a scent that I wear all the time. It's a scent I wear occasionally. Sure. And something about the body oil, though, I feel like together and like on the skin, it like works better on my skin than the, than the Eau de Parfum. I don't know why. Um, yeah, I do I, think we, like formatting and the experience of it definitely like plays into certain fragrances versus others. I completely agree with you. Totally. And in the summer, I wear sweet sometimes. I also wear West, which is like a blood orange type fragrance, and then Sunfruit. So lately, that's been like my jam because I'm like trying to will summer over here because it's been like oddly <laughs> not. That. So that's sort of been like my rotation lately. But I, you know, I'm one of those people that I wake up in the morning, I look at my scent assortment, I spray on whatever I feel like. But those are my staples. Yeah, it's fun to choose. 
Yeah. What do you do for, you know, the rest of your beauty routine? You don't definitely don't have to get into all of it, but are there any staples that you obsess over? Obviously, you are somebody who is a very well knowledge in this space. So I eagerly wait your recommendations. <laughs> so I actually am a big supplement girl. I, yes. So I think sometimes, uh, well, it's a crossover. I feel like sometimes that supplements can cross over into wellness and health, but I actually think supplements can also cross over into beauty because it does change what you need to put on your skin, you know? So some of my supplements that I pretty much take daily, I'll take a daily multivitamin uh, just like a pretty basic one by one essentials. It's like a pharmaceutical grade vitamin. And then I'll take a phytoceramide, which I actually think mm. reduces my, I don't have to put on as much moisturizer because it actually keeps yeah. your skin more plump, which is crazy to me. And then I, funnily enough, I see Dr. Frank Lippman, who's this amazing, yes, I don't yeah. know what he's called. He's basically my GP though. And yeah. he told me that I need to eat more collagen because I wasn't getting getting any younger. <laughs> um, is that He's so very funny? Blunt. <laughs> it's, it's for your nails and your hair and your skin, your collagen, etc. And so I actually really love the Mind Body Green, the chocolate um, collagen powder. Good I just to hear. I'm also so a fan. Good. And then let's see what else I take. I'm like really good about this stuff. I also, there's also this other supplement called Reservacell. It's by Thorne mm -hmm. and it is such a good, such a great way to like give yourself an energy boost without like having cool. any jitters or anything. And that has NAD and NAD plus, which I sure. think is a really great one. And then the last one I started taking recently because it helps you sleep and we all know sleep helps with your skin and all that, like yes. basically everything is I started taking this thing called Cortisol Manager, and it's by Integrative huh. Therapeutics. So do you have any topical recommendations? Do you have anything that you use in day and night that you're obsessed with? Yes. So there's two lines I really like right now. So one, I like the You Beauty line which is okay. by Tina Chen Craig. She's awesome. She's just an awesome woman. But it's funny because sometimes your friends will start lines and you'll be like, oh, I hope it's good, you know? And then <laughs> she said, and then you said, she sent it some like products and I was like, okay, it's really good. I, I love the barrier cream. She has a barrier okay. cream that you can put on at night. There's something about it that's like very soothing and pleasing. I like it a lot. And then I really like this um, mask that blows my mind. It's by Glow Recipe. It's a mm. hyaluronic like mud mask Ooh. or clay mask, I should say. And yeah. yeah, yeah, I don't get it. Like it's so weird to me because it's hydrating, and then you can feel your pores tightening at the same time. It's like a it's like a really strange kind of like combination that really works. So, I mean, I'm obsessed with Glow Recipe. I feel like I constantly use so many of their products, but I actually haven't tried this one. So now I feel like I need to go call it in. <laughs> yes, you should, because this isn't one that I would be like, oh, I have to have this, right? Like I like all their like serums and whatever. No, this one is like, I was like, oh, I really like this. It's so good. Okay, okay. Definitely call it in. And then I love this line. It's out of Budapest in Hungary called Omo Raviska. I okay. butchered it. It's really, really, really good. They don't, it's not every single thing, right? But they have yeah. this mud thing that's awesome, thermal mud. Mm. I've been using their cushioning day cream lately. It's a really solid day cream. I just think overall as a lot, they have a wonderful mineral SPF. 
They're always sold okay. out of that, but it's so good. I just think that line is very thoughtful and I trust it. Like it's going back yeah. to that same thing. Like, okay, can you trust this line? And I'm sitting there reading the ingredient listings and stuff and like, okay, I trust them. Yeah. So that's another one. And then, you know, there's some other ones that I'm like, okay, I would love to use it, but I always need some like extra help interpreting this stuff is like Biologique Recherche. I always, it's an amazing skincare line, but sometimes they have questionable ingredients in there. I know. I I feel similarly. It's great, great results, but you know. I have to like, (laughs) yes, I have to like ask them, you know, if I go to a facial, I'll be like, okay, what's actually in here? Hmm, You know, but it does have great results. So I have mixed, you know, I sometimes will mix a few of those things in, but not everything. Totally. Well, B, this was so incredible chatting with you. I mean, you have so much knowledge in this space, and I always love chatting with anybody who has an affinity for fragrance because it is probably my favorite area of the beauty space for so many of the reasons we've talked about. So thank you so, so much for joining me today. I just, I I so enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much for having me. It's so much fun. And yes, like you either love fragrance or you don't. And it's like this special, special world that once you're in. I know. So all of our listeners can come join the special world. I <laughs> become a fragrance lover. You'll be That's happier right. over here. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want more beauty content, you can find it at mindbodygreen.com or any of our social channels. And finally, if you liked this podcast, don't forget to rate and review us. Thanks for tuning in. See you next week.